You are about to listen to Defending Black Girlhood Podcast, and I'm your host, Lelada G. I'm a black mother. Look, I don't care what Mookie May May and Lakeisha oh, Mama does. I'm not Mookie May May and Lakeisha uh, Mama. Tripping. A preacher. Give me the key of D. And Mary had a little baby, and his name was Jesus. A life coach. Look, girl, if Chump don't want no help, Chump don't get no help. Oh, and a singer. And I, and I, and I, no, I ain't a singer. Most of all, I'm an advocate for black girls everywhere they are. And I'm telling you right now, I am unapologetic as hell about my fierce advocacy for black girls to be safe in their homes, schools, and communities. Join us for courageous conversations about topics that most impact our girls and be inspired to do your part in defending black girls in your part of the world. Some information may contain graphic, violent, or explicit language. Listener's discretion is advised. I think people don't talk about the re-victimization pattern enough that you really are so hard on yourself that you believe people are going to look at you so crazy because you should have learned that lesson so the shame will keep you so suppressed in that environment that you're willing to sacrifice your safety for your pride. No matter how far you go down the wrong road, stop, turn around, and go back. If we're going to be like God, according to the Bible that I read, we have to admit our sins and repent of our sins which means you ain't doing that shit no more. If you keep doing that same shit, you ain't sorry. And if you ain't sorry, I'm not gonna forgive your ass, okay? That's what I'm saying. Before you get into your next relationship, take the time to heal. Take the time to do therapy. Ride or die is like you have a tacit, like a, an unspoken contract that you're gonna do whatever I say, right? Whatever I say goes. Like you're agreeing to let someone be the master over your life because their approval really means so much to you. Okay, so, you know, we talk about historical trauma and all of these things that we learned about our birth. They came from the plantation. It, it came from somewhere where we got this message. And well, they come from white supremacy. And so while you may not have been on a plantation or your ancestors, somewhere along the way, someone got the idea that whiteness is centered. Mm-hmm. And it gets carried on into the next generation. And after that and after that, until we decide. That, that this is not the case, right? And I, I think about how, like, it's Black History Month and we're celebrating Black History Month and everybody is like, I'm blackity, black, black, and all that stuff. <laughs> and, and yet there are so many parts of white supremacy that we embody. and we More are, than we realize. More than we realize. And unless we realize that and make conscious efforts, that also plays into how we view ourselves and our worth. 
Um, yeah. So it doesn't even have to be a partner. It can be in your world of work. It can be anywhere. And, and where you are, where you go, there you are. And so, yeah. you know, that's why I was so glad great point. the respectability politics, because all I was thinking was, the whole reason I think I had such a hard time getting out of my final situation that was so deadly is because I didn't have a degree, but what I had proved to everyone was I could get a job as a substance use therapist and I could excel in my career and I could be an active member in my community and everybody could know who, what I had fought for my whole life. And, and then above all, I had gotten out of an abusive marriage like before that. So it was like the thought of, how could you do this again? You should have learned. And I think people don't talk about the re-victimization pattern enough that you really are so hard on yourself that you believe people are going to look at you so crazy because you should have learned that lesson. So the shame will keep you so suppressed mm -hmm. in that environment that you're willing to sacrifice your safety for your pride. Because I, all I thought was, wow. no one would ever think someone like me would be putting themselves through this after all I fought for to get to where I am with nothing. Yes. Yes. So even if you are in that situation again, maybe you in that situation again and again, you still can find out. a way out. Yes. Reach yes. out. Reach out. I don't care how many times, you know, um, somebody says something, no matter how many times, no matter how far you go down the wrong road, stop, turn around and go back. Because sometimes it takes us a long time to learn lessons. Sometimes it takes us a long time to learn how to love ourselves. But when that love for you shows up, respond to it. Respond to it. And whether you learn it or not, you don't deserve it, right? No. That, that's not the your most fault. important part. It's, it has nothing to do with you. Just, just like, just like women are wounded, men are too. And I, I am not making excuses for them because, like I said, no one has a right to touch anyone. And yet they they are wounded, too. Like I think about we have this vicious cycle of how treat domestic violence and it, it's criminalized instead of looked at as a, from a healing point of view and mm -hmm. how, how we can support people. And so it's so criminalized that they'll have men take a... a an abuser take um, anger management. It has nothing to do with anger management. It's so much. It's about power and control, and that that is that's related to trauma. And mm -hmm. everyone needs their trauma explored. It, it's not just not just that one piece. And you know, lots of times, you know, I I have conversations with survivors who don't want to leave their partners. Mm -hmm. You to stop and they don't know what to do. And so how do we, if families want to stay together and everyone's willing to work on it, where is the, where are the resources for that? You know, I, I think that's very necessary. That's a really good question. You know, um, at the same time, I feel a little skeptical about that because I know that statistically, if a man is abusing, you statistically that doesn't change too quick so that's a decision that one has to make even though that same man might leave from your relationship and not abuse the next woman oftentimes you know so you gotta if you want 
I mean, everybody has to make their choice, but make it with the understanding that it may not change. Um, and what does that mean for you and for your life? Um, Monique, you said something I, I, I wanted to um, repeat. You said everyone needs to examine their trauma. You didn't say um, if you have trauma, you should examine it. You said everyone needs to examine their trauma because if you live this life on this earth, you didn't have some kind of trouble. Now, some people have much more trauma, many more traumas, deeper trauma, larger trauma, blacker trauma, whiter trauma, poorer trauma, you know, but everybody got some kind of trauma that they need to examine. And, and take that time to, to examine that, um, you know, take that time, you know, to figure out who you are, why you are, and the things that are causing you to make decisions and choices that you don't want for your life, you know, get to the root of some of that stuff. Now, I'm going to say it two ways. I'm going to say get to the root of some of that stuff so you understand, but sometimes it don't even matter if you understand Sometimes you just need to make some decisions that are just healthy for you, whether you know why you was going through what you went through, why you thought the way you did, why you accepted what you did, whether or not you can figure that out, figure it out from someplace safe. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to know everything before you um, do the next right thing, the next safe thing for you. I agree. Because we, we're all, we're, I think if you're black, you get trauma. I don't care what anyone says. Uh, no, that's if right. If you are living of this system in the United States, there is some kind of trauma. No, and, that's right. And we, and whether it's historical, that's been carried from one person to the next, and we don't know why we think of something the way we do, but we know our mama did it, and our mama's mama did it, and her mama's mama, mama did it. <laughs> you know? Okay. It, that, that's those are all the things that we have to look at. And that that's our mm -hmm. relation, right? Because anything that we're doing now is to survive a system that was never created to protect us, to serve us. And so we're mm. getting in the system instead of in our own in our own way of being, um, in our own truth. And so I think it's necessary for all of us to look at our trauma and, and mm -hmm decide what how how are we gonna move and i yeah i can think about when i have looked at historical things like is that why i do that or is that you know mm -hmm. I, you make efforts to do it differently right now you know you know you know what you know mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. yes yes because even as paquita said i was thinking when she mentioned earlier how her mother didn't let her spend the night how many of us black women can attest to our mother saying you can't spend the night? And we never knew why, because I said so. And, you know, we thought our mother was menacing. But so much of that, if not all of that, was born out of some trauma she went through as a child. And from her fear and from her desire to protect you, you know, that's so, so common. So mm -hmm. common. You know, um, so we'll talk even, about this. Even forgiving comes from the plantation, right? The Bible was used as a weapon. Mm -hmm. I, what did you know, we go in there. The Bible was used as a weapon to forgive. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Inside of yourself. And so just all of those things the great Christian if you don't if you don't forgive. And right. Forgiveness doesn't 
reconciliation either, right? So it doesn't mean reconciliation because you forgive because you have are vibrating on a higher spiritual plane. It doesn't mean that that person has changed one single bit. It it it, it really doesn't. And I think the way we teach forgiveness tends to give the expectation then you should be in a relationship with them. Because if the thing that was a, the offense is removed, then why can't you just be in a relationship with your father? Why can't you be in a relationship with your husband? Why can't you be in a relationship with your mother? If you forgive it, now there's no offense there. But it doesn't give lend anything to that person has changed. Don't get me talking about forgiveness because my whole thing is I, I don't like the word because what the word often represents. I like to say let it go because you can let go anything that you want to let go of. And that's your power. That's your strength. Um, and you can let go of something without having to think about that person. And I feel like when people try to introduce forgiveness too soon, it's really re-traumatizing because you're making that person think about that person in ways that they're not yet ready to think about that person or deal with that person. And, you know, I think it's, it's extremely harmful. And yes, the Bible was used as a control, but it was also used as um, as a weapon, but it was also used as a, as a sense of, of control as well to control our behavior. And um, I, I'm, I'm not with that one. I'm not with that one. So, <laughs> I get some kickback as a Christian when I have these radical ideas about forgiveness. But the truth of the matter is, is that when we look at God in the Bible, if we're going to if we're going to try to be like God, God forgive people who acknowledge their sin and who ask for forgiveness. If we're going to be like God, that's how he operates according to the Bible that I read. That we have to admit our sins and repent of our sins which means you ain't doing that shit no more. If you keep doing that same shit, <laughs> you ain't sorry. And if you ain't sorry, I'm not gonna forgive your ass, okay? <laughs> That's what I'm saying, okay? I'm gonna <laughs> I let you go, but I won't do forgiveness. I'll go with acceptance, though. I can accept it, I can understand it, I can process it. But just because I accept that something happened doesn't mean I accept how it happened, what it did. I think because acceptance is like recognition. Yeah. Like I recognize what you did, and I recognize that enough to turn around and go the other direction. <laughs> okay, quick, fast, and in a hurry. Mm-hmm. All right, ladies. Okay, this is good. I'm enjoying this conversation. So in the Black community, mm-hmm. we see in movies, we see in conversations, we see in relationships in our family, this whole idea of this ride-or-die chick. You know, all these videos talk about ride-or-die, ride-or-die, mm-hmm. um, and that there's like the, the woman's supposed to just be there no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the questions I have is, why is it Always us dying, never the man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, and how do you feel that whole thought, that whole culture of ride or die, has that impacted you at all in your relationships? It's bullshit. <laughs> it's yeah, bullshit. I'll go with that. I've actually had men tell me things like, well, you must not be a ride or die. I'm like, no, I'm not a rider. I'm a driver. I only ride when I'm tired. And oh my God, like, why would, I, why would I ride with you anywhere? Where are you taking me? I don't know where we're going. I don't know why, why would I trust you 
it's it plays on the whole idea that women are worth their value if we are ultimately sacrificial as hell. Like you have to give everything unwavering devotion for what? What have you done for me? What to this imaginary promise that's an oasis in a distance and every mile that I drive, it just keeps getting further away. We're never getting to the oasis. The desert is just vast and expansive and endless. And men would never be right or die because that would show humility, that would show obedience, that would show that you are basically a slave um, by agreement. Ride or die is like you have a tacit, like a, an unspoken contract that you're going to do whatever I say, right? Whatever I say goes. Like you're agreeing to let someone be the master over your life because their approval really means so much to you. I don't know whose approval meant that much to me since not even my own parents as a child approval meant that much to me. I mean, what are you, God? <laughs> but I think people give relationships that much power over their life because when they dictate your worth and you, some people, you will really go to the end of the earth for a person that wouldn't even give you a cup of milk and two eggs if you needed it. My God, my God. You said you are not a ride, you a driver. So I wrote down, <laughs> instead of ride or die, you're going to drive and live. Okay, that'll preach somebody. You're going to drive and live. Mm. Oh my God. And then we have this, this, this whole ideology over, you know, particularly black women, where we are not supporting, but we're sponsoring, right? We're not the lover, we're the mother. We confuse and, loyalty and, you know, for we servitude. Have... We oh. confuse loyalty for servitude. We really think like loyalty means that you have to just show up in every way and just give all of yourself. No, that's servitude. That's a job and jobs pay. And jobs have, a, there's an equal give and take, hopefully if you have a good job. And it's an agreement. And Wisconsin is an at-will employer. A relationship is a contract. <laughs> mm. Okay, yeah. break that down. Break that um, down. Any other Ladies, relationship, like any type of relationship, you have each side. First of all, you're equally consenting parties, and then each side has a like a standard, a code of ethics. You have guidelines you must adhere to. So, just like any other business arrangement or any other relationship of any kind, if one side of the agreement is not holding up their end of the bargain, that's when you have a meeting. Or you could just decide to terminate somebody because you're no longer happy. I look at any type of relationship, mm -hmm. a job, a person, family, I don't care who it is. If you're not holding up your end of the bargain, you're violating policies. You threw the whole rule book out. You lit it on fire and threw it out the window. You don't respect me. Those things are, that's not going to fly. And I think if people start looking at relationships mm -hmm. more like that, like, are my needs being met? Because you can't do all that at a job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're not going to be getting paid next right. week. Right. <laughs> You'd be off the right. <laughs> You're not gonna get paid, your rent ain't gonna get paid. And you know, I was just thinking as you were speaking how, you know, in our most intimate relationships, we allow so many things that we would not allow in other relationships. Or you're talking about work. So like if your best girlfriend, y'all was hanging out, going out to happy hour and she just like punched you in the face, you wouldn't allow that at all. You know. If you go to work and a receptionist slaps you, you know, you wouldn't allow that at all. So somehow people we love, we give them a license. We give them latitude. We give them chance after chance after chance to do things that we would never allow someone else to do to us. 
you know, um, and I think a lot of it goes back to the things we've already talked about. Because that need is so big, that longing, it overrides your sense of what's okay for you. Even if you own a dog, mm-hmm. you wouldn't let a dog repeatedly bite you in the face because you would go, oh, that's not safe for me. But that, that childhood, that, right. need, that overrides, that's your instinct to chase that, that hole, that void that you feel. And until you realize that yeah. that void can be filled by you, and I mean, no one could do it better than you can do it, then you won't be looking for that in places that you won't be trying to touch fire and get burned. Right, right. Um, you know, Monique, you could speak to this because you talk a lot about the historic trauma. You know, why is the expectation of love from a black woman so full of sacrifices of self on every level, emotionally, financially, physically, spiritually? The financial part is new to me. I, I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's that new struggle, love. Um, <laughs> Um, And yet, I just think about how we have always been the caretakers. We have always Mm -hmm. been the carriers of water, of things, Um, from breastfeeding the mistress's white child Mm -hmm. um, to being the midwife, um, to caring for someone that, that was hurt. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's that's just always been the case, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I I think that men on the plantation were seen as valuable because they were stronger, um, and so we got where we got we last on the pole on the on the yeah. on the list, and I yeah. just always carried forward where. You know, you could be raped, um, and you could be assaulted, and no one came to your rescue. Your your husband mm-hmm. can protect you. Mm-hmm. You get raped um, with an earshot or in, in front of them, where whatever it was, and right. You know, it, that that's that's the lesson that that got carried forward. You know, slaves slaves didn't. They didn't free, you know, 1865 and then say, okay, let's get all the, the former slaves some therapy. It was, right. let, let's, let's give them this 40 acres and a mule and not follow through. Um, right. And also leave them in danger. Um, and, you know, I, I think Black women have always been sexualized and just mm-hmm. things that, that make make us less than and I, I i think we're having this conversation once just about how even black lives matter is it, it was originally because black men were getting killed mm-hmm. i i think just once again we've always been taught to put others before us and mm-hmm. i can appreciate like i have a son i would i could see myself on that line, like I, I see my son in these situations, you know, mm-hmm. and, and can um, attest to the anxiety I feel about when he gets older and starts to drive and so forth. And so there, there are those parts, but then there's that other part of we've been taught to put ourselves last. Yes. So. Yes. Yes. You know, I was in a a, a march this 
past summer and we were chanting, what's his name? They said, George Floyd, what's his name, George Floyd? And they said, what's her name? That's what happened. It was silence. And then, oh, 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 Breonna Taylor. Yeah, we are we are last on our own list. And I think once we switch that around, we'll see a lot of changes, you know, but it's, it's hard to, it's hard pressed to really undo things that you don't even know, realize or understand have been done. You know, many of us are carrying harm that predated us but yet we still carry the scars and, and it's hard to heal when you don't know what needs to be healed. But speaking of healing, um, you know, part of this conversation was really moving towards loving again. So Paquita, you know, um, how did you know you were ready to love again? Um, well, uh, that, incident when I finally got out that was 2011 um and I didn't uh start talking to anybody else new until like um the end of 2012 um going into 2013 uh I took that time to just re-examine what I was feeling at the time um, I also had stopped going to church, uh, while I was in this relationship with, uh, my ex and, um, I started going back to church. Uh, we ended up buying in a church in Madison, uh, Madison Pentecostal assembly. And I just, you know, dived in that is something that, uh, has been a part of my life since before I could even think of, you know, when, <laughs> because, you know, uh, my grandmother was an evangelist and, um, you know, you know, even though my parents weren't in church at the time, mm-hmm. um, she would be like, get my grandkids dressed, have them on the porch. They're going to church with me. You know, mm-hmm. so, um, I had that steady until I was about 13 and then she passed away unexpectedly at uh, 58. So um, I had a, you know, a time period where we just didn't go to church. Everything was kind of crazy. Yeah. But um, find, finding that foundation again at the, uh, at the end of 2011 and just, I just took my focus off of being in a relationship. Don't, don't talk to me about no relationship. Don't talk to me about nobody. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so I just started focusing on church. I started focusing more on my daughter. And then um, that's kind of how it started. And uh, 2000, at the end of 2012, um, we were attending church. And... Uh, I saw this guy at church. <laughs> <laughs> this guy right here. That guy right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw him at the end of the aisle at church and I was like, oh, who that? <laughs> Pretty much like, who that? <laughs> and, um, I remember going to, um, our bishop was very adamant about um, 
protecting his women. He was he was very adamant. Like you could a brother couldn't just come up to you and start talking to you like, hey, I'm gonna take you out on a date. Uh uh-uh. uh. Nope. <laughs> he was like he was like, if you are interested in dating, come talk to me first. And I'll tell you, you know, mm-hmm. what's, what's going on? Is this one good or, you know, whatever. Um, but by the end of uh, 2012, I had, um, I went in that house to him and uh, I pretty much described my husband <laughs> to him. So he knew who I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And um unbeknownst to me, Bishop, you know, he had his little ear thing in him and he was able, um, he talked to my husband, letting him know, okay, we have a sister that's interested and things like that. And that's kind of how it started. Just, just getting back my faith base, um, focusing on God and getting my life back in order that way. Starting therapy, going to talk to somebody, actually telling my parents, exactly what happened because if I would have told my parents the abuse was happening when it was happening I would have I would have immediately been out of it because that's just how they it would have came in like you gotta go she coming mm-hmm. up you ain't talking to her no more mm-hmm. so, they would have shut that down they would have shut it down <laughs> period that's just the type of parents they are they would have shut it down you know but <laughs> I was just so no, I don't want to. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go to my parents. I don't want to go to my parents. And, mm-hmm. you know, but had I had I just had the courage to be like, Mom, Dad, this is happening, they would immediately shut it down. And at the time, I was like, No, nah, I don't want it to be. I want this is what I want. Mm-hmm. Name, mm-hmm. you know, I can change him. I can mm-hmm. change him. My God. That's what it, I can change him. I can make the drinking stop. I can I can get him to see me and and want to be a family with me and my daughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just you know, and it's so crazy because like I had before I started, because um, like I said, we were off and on um, in the relationship. And before I started it up again, I was in church and everything, and. Um, one of the church members had came over and was like, you know, I know you really, you're tired of being by yourself. Um, just don't make this decision. And I was like, no, I can handle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, that was it. And then wow. like, after that thing happened in 2011 with the girl and the gun. And um, I just went home. I got, like I said, I got him out and I had a few months or, um, I left that apartment and in that time um, I sat down and I just prayed and I cried and just let it all out and God was like are you done? Mm. He said are you done now? Are you done? Yes. Not he is said, he done. Are nope. you done? And he said are you done? And I was saying oh, Lord what you mean am I done? And he was like he, it, he just let me know you, the decision you made to leave me to go back to him when I had all of this in front of you, if you would have just waited, if you would have just waited, you know what I'm saying? If you would have just waited, 
I would have given you everything you asked for. Everything. Wow. Had I waited. <laughs> you know? And from then on, I was like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I am done. That's, that's all there is to it. And then, you know, I didn't think, you know, with that little stuff with them, I didn't think that God would bless me again, but he has. And, you know, now I have, um, I have my husband and, uh, we done added two more children to this family. You know, my daughter had siblings and we thought she would be the only child for a while, but, you know, he's added and blessed. And one thing I do want to say to women out there, before you get into your next relationship, take the time to heal. Take the time to do therapy because a lot of um, the trauma I had, I took it into my first few years of marriage. Mm -hmm. Whew, I'm about to cry. But thank God I have a husband that loves me enough to love me through the pain. Yeah. And he just, as much as I push and, you know, like his tone, he, his tone of voice, he could, he could say something and he didn't mean to use that tone of voice. But the minute he did, it jumped me to be like, who are you talking to? And this Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and things still do it'll it'll trigger me because it's like and then my husband will stop me and he'll be like Peter Peter and I'm like sorry I'm sorry that is not that's not you it's mm -hmm. me and um I didn't got triggered so let me step out let me calm down and come back you know and you know, the first couple of years of our marriage, we we had it rough because everything triggered me, triggered, because I, I didn't heal enough. And that's a really key point, so that even if you are in the right relationship and the relationship that you want to be in, in the relationship that you want to invest in, if you haven't healed everything that you left that last relationship with come to that new relationship. And I, I love that you talked about taking time, taking time to heal, taking just time to take time. You know, mm -hmm. even if the time you're taking, you're not even healing, that time becomes healing because you took the time. You know, I see, you know, women who go from one relationship to the next, to the next, to the next, because they're looking for that thing, um, that same thing that broke them to be the same thing that will heal them. And it just becomes um, more of a reason to need healing. Um, so I love that you talked about taking time. Adanze, how about you? Are you in the place where you're ready to love again? Um, I think that I'm in a place where I'm really ready to love myself and like embrace mm. what life has to give me. Because, you know, just like Bakita said, I I tried to date, like, I took a pretty long break, probably like six, eight months, and then I wasn't looking for anything, and some nice guy rolls around, and I think that's when I realized that even if a relationship was not abusive, it didn't mean that there was love there, it didn't mean that was enough for me, and I think it took me being in enough turmoil for me to realize, like, give myself the 
just the knowing that I have control over what kind of love I experience. And I think I know that I'm ready to like love period because I've fallen in love with life again. Like I love the way I look. I love my apartment. I have really deep relationships with my friends and families. Um, I'm really, I feel like I'm closer to the person that not the person I lost, but the person I know I'm becoming every day to the point that I was recently actually in a really healthy relationship with good communication and a patient partner who understood my history, who had his own history of like emotional abuse. And I just wasn't being loved the way I knew I deserved to be loved. I wasn't being fully accepted for all parts of who I was. Um, I just wasn't being given that care and that unique kind of love that I seek. And as a black woman, I just thought, you know, I've been through so much that even though you're not bad for me, he wasn't bad at all. It's just not enough. It's not what I want. And I'm not going to stop until I find that right guy. I think I cultivated standards for myself. And as I keep going, I just kept thinking, you know, it's just really the change in mindset that someone really could not come to me unless they came correct. Like you need to have like a spiritual mindset. You need to be able to love me correctly the way I desire to, to even have that place in my life for me to grant you that position to care for the garden that is my heart. And I'm glad that Paquita made that, um, how important it is to have a partner that truly understands what your background is and can nurture you through those hard times. Because even if someone's not a bad partner, you can have someone that's doing their best, but they just don't understand that your relationship history has a lot to do with how you act. And that can be hurtful. Like it feels like part of you is being shut down and integrating my experience into my identity. Like, no, this is part of who I am now. There are certain things that I don't do. I don't do door slamming. I don't do shouting. I don't do name calling. I don't do low blows. There's a code of conduct now, and I will not accept anything less than that. And then even if it is that, if it's still not that sweet spot, if I don't feel that in my soul, I'm going to keep looking. And I think that's just where I'm at now. And I've never been in that place in my life where I was willing to walk away from something, even if it was good and it could have been long-term and it could have been stable and all those things. I just think I wanted more for myself and I wasn't willing to sacrifice the dream I have of my future just to be comfortable anymore. I've never walked away from like a, you know, a good relationship because I didn't have many good ones. And to turn something away, it didn't feel like a rejection. It was like, I'm going to release you and I'm going to just be with myself. And I really like being with myself now. <laughs> I love that girl. I love that. And I want to um, amplify. You said you created a code of conduct for yourself, mm-hmm. for what you knew you would and would not receive. And so sisters, if you all are listening, think about a code of conduct that you want for yourself you know, give yourself permission even to think that you deserve a code of conduct and start with something, you know, and I love that you're saying that about no slamming of doors, no name calling, you know, just certain things, because as Paquita was saying, those things that may be of, I'm going to say regular, you know, in a very tongue-in-cheek normal relationship could withstand if you've had trauma where that door slam then meant to your face getting slammed, you know, it just doesn't feel the same to you. And so being able to know what you can't take because you don't, you don't want to be constantly triggered. And there's some things that you just don't want to deal with anymore. Um, this has been, I, I have a thousand other questions for y'all. This has been such a rich conversation and the things you all have shared has been so beautiful. Um, but I want to move into Monique asking you, 
you know, because I think once you get to that place of, of leaving, and you had mentioned earlier that, you know, sometimes um, a woman may leave seven times before she leaves the last time. And, and, and I know that the coming and the going can increase danger. You know, the, the, the leaving, coming back, leaving, coming back. My mother was in a physically abusive relationship, and um, he basically said, you know, I think I'm going to kill you because I'm tired of you leaving me, coming and leaving, coming and leaving, coming and leaving, and we know that that increased danger. So um, what are some ways that a woman can safely, uh, more safely, leave an abusive relationship? Like somebody is just trying to get out maybe right now. What are some thoughts around that? You know, I think safety planning is really important. If someone is planning to leave, there are things that they can do as far as get in contact with um, a local agency, a, lo a local domestic violence agency. And you can plan, make plans to leave to get your ducks in a row. Um, Make an escape bag if you need to, for times when you need to escape and plan where you're going to go. Make a plan. And it could money, be, what would be some things that might be in an escape bag? Clothes, money, um, important documents, your ID, your birth certificate, things that you would need for an apartment. Um, anything that you consider important could be a marriage license, you know, because you are trying to um, certain certain services that but you're estranged and some services ask for those things and your social security card things like that that um could be very important mm -hmm. for you to to get a job get a get housing um whatever it is you may need check stubs anything like that so planning the roots planning how you how you plan to leave, when, you know, and thinking about as you're planning, if you're using your phone, um, being careful about those texts and if they're texts and whether you keep them or how you keep them, where you store them, can you email them to yourself? Um, can you just pick up your phone and open email or do you need a password? Is that password protected? All of those things that are really important. Um, Making sure that if your your email is open, that you know it, it doesn't say something about a, a DV shelter or something that would give away what your plans may be um, is also really important. Um, sometimes you may not be able to have a phone, and so what are you going to do um, to hide that phone so that it's easily accessible? All of those things are important. Um, sometimes it may be about working something out with your neighbor, you know, or a friend and some kind of signal or safety word for your children, you know, um, all of those things that are really important as you're trying to keep yourself safe. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that, I, I think about all of these things and lots of times women go back. One is twofold, right? One is, I don't want to leave this person. I think a lot of it is I have nowhere else to go, right? I leave, I am taking a vow of poverty, and I can check into the homeless shelter every day and call them on time, 
or I can go to a BD program and have a limited amount of time in the shelter. And then when that time is up, where do, where do I take me and my child, you know? Um, and so there are things, um, working in domestic violence destroys a lot of work histories, destroys a lot of credit. Um, all of those things that get in the way of people living their best lives and moving forward. And so their time when planning is helpful. So um, imagine that you're talking to a woman, a woman is listening, who is at that point where, as Adanze said, she's ready to love herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and and she's, she's at that place. Um, what word of encouragement, Monique, would you give her? Well, I would ask her, what has she done so far? At the time she's done something and I'm like that's that's awesome. I you know it's like you, you you've gotten started and so you're not starting at ground zero. Some things have been done. Leaving is is one thing that has been done and yet lots of times they've done some kind of research and so you know, I can I can tell this is really important to you and it looks like you've done some work and commend commend him or her for that work. Yeah. Um, and and just find out what else, what are your next steps? What what do you want your life to look like? And how do we get there? You know, what what's that end result? And we start with the result and we move towards that result. Mm, I love that. Get a vision for your life that you want and then start to move towards that. And I think even just giving yourself permission to think that life can be better then your mind and your spirit and your soul will align to start thinking about solutions, things you hadn't thought about, people you hadn't realized. You will see resources and opportunities once you begin to even point your mind to that. Ladies, this has been an amazing conversation. Okay. I thank you so much for sharing about your lives, sharing about your experiences. And I know that there are going to be a lot of people who are listening to this conversation who are going to be blessed, who are going to be encouraged, who are going to be strengthened. And, um, you know, as we're in the month of February and we're thinking about love, really, we're, we're really working to underscore the idea of self-love this month, loving yourself. And you deserve to love yourself. You deserve to love yourself. You deserve to love yourself. You deserve it. And so um, um, if you need some help and you, you try to figure out some ways to start. You don't want to talk to anybody you know right now. You can definitely reach out to the 800 Domestic Abuse 800 line at 800-799-7233. You can call them. They can help you with knowing what are some of the first steps you could take. They can help you with safety planning. You can remain anonymous. Um, but one thing I love is that it's an 800 number, but they can help you identify local resources that are available in your community that can help you. Um, And so I love the thought behind, can I love again? And the answer being, yes, yes, I can love myself again. And maybe I can love myself for the first time. Ladies, blessings to you. Again, thank you so much for sharing of your life, of your experiences and, um, be encouraged you all who are listening be encouraged to move your life a little bit closer to 
what you truly desire and deserve. You all have a great evening. Thank you so much. This was just wonderful. Um, I appreciate you all. Let me know if you have any questions. That was a good conversation. And look, we mean this thing. We are not playing. We are committed to defending black girls. And look, we want you to get involved. Please visit Lalena.org to explore the work that we are doing to defend black girls to be safe wherever they are. And look, while you're there, please sign up for our mailing list so that you will not miss one single fearless conversation.